To play with these people is amazing and ridiculous. To do it by your age is next level. Little Mix, Cat Burns, Becky Hill, Zara Larson, but most recently, Ray, the best selling artist in the UK. Give it up for Ray! Yeah. This is Ray. My name is Ray. That's massive. How has this happened so fast? Mm. You cut that bit out, please. <laughs> Practice for like 10 hours, no problem. I knew exactly what I wanted. We may as well get some drinks. You're not driving the bus. Yeah. That We're would just traveling, yeah. <laughs> How am I here? Like, what is this? From the Tiny Desk concert, some of the most amazing artists in the world. You've now graced that desk. You're casually with the world's largest girl band. <laughs> That's pretty cool. One gig, I like looked over and everyone was like, <laughs> Glastonbury was on and you were playing. Oh, God. Were, you, were you main staging? Yeah. Wow. Mm. I can't I have now. I I can't say I felt that yet. Hello and welcome to Where Creatives Connect. My name's Jamie Sharp and this is the podcast that brings you the behind the scenes of creative folk from all over the world. Musicians, poets, dancers, you name it, I'll have them on. And it's my job to dive into who they are and what makes them tick as a creative person. I'm very happy today because I've got a lovely friend in front of me. I know you first and foremost as a pretty average pool player, a sunshine dodger and an overuser of green tea leaves, but also an amazing musician and somebody who's cracked onto the session scene with a big explosion over the last few years. Liv Thompson, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. That was spot on, that. The, the, with the first few. <laughs> <laughs> was it pool or snooker? Oh, I don't know. I don't know the difference. I can't remember. I have no idea. We're both in the same boat then. <laughs> Give me three words to describe how you are this week. Oh, this week. Busy. Mm. I've been round and about this week, so I'm feeling a bit disorganised. Tell us where you've been. I've been to Norway and Finland. I can't be any more specific than that. I can't remember. We were doing festivals. <laughs> Some really great festivals, though. So a little bit disorganised. Excited to go back out, though. And also weirdly panicked about how fast this year's going. Yeah. That's just hit me today. It's like, oh, my God, it's like mid-August already. I think there's like an inbuilt thing for people in the UK when we get to this time because we're used to school starting in mm -hmm. September, which is like new school year, new me, or whatever, and it, it never really goes away. Mm -hmm. So I think it, I think it's a time of year for us. You've been everywhere, so you've been, uh, you don't know where you've been, but before that, in the last few weeks, you've been to New York, mm -hmm. Cornwall, the yeah. Boardmasters. Mm -hmm. Before that, so I'd seen in, in between that, was it Spain? I can't remember. Yes, yeah. Um, what was that called? Mad Cool? Yeah. Mad Cool Festival. We've been around and about. Uh, sorry, I thought the place was called Mad Cool <laughs> and I was like, I've never heard of this place. Uh, I'm okay. pretty sure it was Madrid, I think. I've heard of that as a place. <laughs> I've been there, it's great. Um, it's lovely. That's good, that's good. very nice. I'm going to do the horrible Uber pitch to you to mm -hmm. begin with. If you were meeting an Uber driver for the first time, you normally only meet them once, to be fair, and they were to ask you what you do for a living, what do you normally tell people? It used to depend on like how I was feeling that day. I would say if I was in like an okay mood, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm a musician or like bass player. But sometimes I, w I haven't lied for a long time. I know some people like lie about what they do. Um, I had something recently where I was getting like a smoothie at the airport and the guy it was in like Oslo and the guy was like, oh, where are you from? And obviously I'm from Cheshire, but I didn't want to say Cheshire. I thought you might not know where that is. So I was like, oh, I'm from the UK. And he was like, where? I was like, oh, I'm from London. I was like, it's not, you might not know where Cheshire is and I can't, like, I don't want to explain. So I was like, oh, I'm from London. He's like, oh, whereabouts in London? I and was you're like, like uh, I can't remember anywhere in London now. I was like, north. And he was like, oh, how is that? I was like, yeah. I was like, why have I lied? So now I just don't lie. Good. I'm just, yeah, I'm I think just honest. It's a general good rule in life, I think, not to yeah, lie. Yeah, it's good to not get into any kind of habit of just being like, I'm going to say that I'm like a... I don't know what people say, like office worker, do they say? Or like footballer or... Yeah, well... Yeah. As opposed to musician. I guess, I guess with your travel, you could kind of make up anything, really. Mm -hmm. That's true. I do know some people that make up like really interesting, like stupid things. Someone said that they painted, they were like a professional mailbox painter. Nice. Like <laughs> they produce the red that they paint mailboxes. That's so it. they lie about funny stuff. 
yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should make a game or a challenge when you're on tour next to start doing that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should. I don't know. Yeah, that might be fun. Now, that might be fun. you have given me a, a lovely day today because I was doing some digging into what you've actually been doing. You're very, very humble when you speak about what you do. So I did the whole deep dive on Instagram, going through posts and, and all sorts of stuff to see who you've been playing with. To name a few of the people, you've played with Little Mix, Cat Burns, Zach Abel, Becky Hill, Zara Larson, and at the moment, Ray. Mm-hmm. That's massive. That's There's a lot, a lot of them. I was looking through my lanyards. I like save all my like passes and lanyards and stuff. And I was looking through the box yesterday. And I was like, there's so many of these here. It's like, how has the time gone? I literally don't remember half of these. I had to go back and look at photos. How has this happened so fast? How old are you now? 25, as of like four days ago. Was it your birthday? Oh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Not four days ago. No. Ages ago. Well, it was not like ages a week ago. and a bit ago. A week, yeah. I re- no, I re- did remember. Yeah. I, I was like, oh, no. Um, Can you cut that bit out, please? <laughs> I said four days and it was a week and a half. <laughs> That is not good timing. Yeah, a week and a good. half ago. Okay, yeah. about a week and a half ago was your birthday. <laughs> to play with these people anyway is amazing and ridiculous. But to do it by your age is next level. Thank you. We'll come back to your childhood and growing up and music mm-hmm. college and all those sorts of things later on. But a nice place to start would be your break into the session world. Hello, I am just editing this podcast from my lovely hotel room in New Zealand. If you're enjoying it so far and getting some value out of it, it would mean the absolute world to me if you would subscribe on YouTube, comment down below your favourite bits, follow it on Spotify, give it a star rating, share it, just engage in some way because the more engagement it gets, the more eyes get to see it and the more people I can get on to share their wonderful stories with you at home. It takes two seconds, you know what to do on with the podcast. Was it a conscious decision that you made to go, all right, I want to be a session player and play live as opposed to other things? Talk us through that moment of realisation. Yeah, it was pretty, um, that was like what I was going to do. It was very like decided that that was specifically what I wanted to do. Second year of uni when we were being told to decide what we were kind of thinking of doing so we didn't leave into like nothing. Mm. We were told you should start thinking what you want to do. So there were some people that I like looked up to and followed on social media that were doing session stuff. This is exactly what I want to do. So yeah, I just worked towards that through uni. Were there specific people that you would reach out to, to talk to about how they got into that mm. sort of world? To be fair, not really in the beginning, because it happened a lot sooner than I thought it would do. So that was in the plan to do, but it happened years sooner than I thought it would happen. So I didn't actually reach out to anyone specifically about that at that point so the plan was to just practice really hard and do like functions and like any kind of gigs I could get whilst working on the skills to be a session player and then maybe when I'm like 26 or 27 then maybe I can break into that but it happened sooner than I thought yeah I mean a lot sooner (laughs) what was the first foot in the door was Mm. was a little little mix the first thing you went straight into yeah definitely yeah just to be clear they're they are the world's biggest girl band right Mm. Yeah, that was crazy. That's that was so cool. Yeah, that was wild. I was so lucky to get that. That's like the perfect thing to. Yeah, that was crazy. And how did Little Mix come about? It was um a dep on Instagram. So I was posting on Instagram like transcriptions and covers and stuff like that. Yeah, they were looking for someone that was UK based. The original musician, I think. I'm not quite sure, but they needed a dep basically because someone like wasn't able to I'm not sure which death I was maybe I was like the 10th I don't know or the second or the fifth I'm not sure Mm. but um yeah they needed someone to to fill in I guess the thing is like having to build up uh names Mm. and the more names you have or if they're recognizable people are more likely to give you opportunities because like this is substantial so from that yeah because that's like a, a really amazing name to have that opened so many doors quickly which was great did you already have like quite a bit of traction on your social media from your transcriptions or were they sort of there anyway and they went oh great playing let's get you in Mm. like were were, were you kind of building a following at that time kind of I can't remember exactly honestly that wasn't really something that I was trying to really prioritize it's like trying to build up like loads and loads of followers I was just trying to post good content and like good quality 
and I was hoping it would just come slowly. I wasn't like, oh, I want this many or whatever. I didn't really think about it. It did get some traction though. It was reposted and stuff like that. So it was organically happening, which I was happy with. So yeah, I was just using it as a little like digital CV type thing. That's such a good way of thinking about it, mm. particularly for younger people getting into it, thinking about like what to post. I mean, sometimes mm. it can be too clinical from some people or too like mm -hmm. forced. There's a fine balance, isn't there? You can really tell on some people if it's a genuine love of what they do and they're yeah. really good mm -hmm. or if it's kind of this strange version of themselves yeah definitely i think there's a good balance you want some life stuff like gigs and then also just some stuff that you're passionate about the music that you like yeah there's a bass player online is it scott's bass lessons mm -hmm. and he commented on something and i had watched i'll tell you why i actually watched it because over lockdown i got a u bass which yeah. I'm never going to play in front of you because I am bad. Um, <laughs> I bet there's no way you are. An old one bad. Um, uh, yeah, I saw it, you commented on one of your things. I was like, oh, sick. Yeah, he's amazing. That was a, a nice thing to have happen because he's incredible. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. You started with a little mix. Mm -hmm. How long was that roughly for? Was that just like a one-off gig or were you there for a little while? Yeah, it was a couple of things. It wasn't too long. It was promo for their new album mm -hmm. at the time. So it was a show at earth the venue called earth in hackney and then strictly come dancing which was cool there was meant to be a tour what happened something happened where i think Nicki minaj wanted them to do something or they were going to guess because they had a song with Nicki minaj out at the time right okay so yeah so that fell through but that's totally fine like the two things we did were incredible oh yeah absolutely yeah. when you were in that sort of world of session playing and you've got a name like that is there a bit of a decision-making thing going on where you have to balance if a few people approach you and they say are you free to be part of my band for this long stint mm -hmm. or are you like could you just do a few one-offs do you have to sort of go well actually I need to keep my diary open in case a bigger thing comes my way or no, maybe not bigger but something that is more aligned to your musical values yeah this is really interesting this is a really tough one actually mm. um very tough one. I had a situation a few years ago where I'd booked myself in for something, which was cool and I was grateful for the opportunity, but it wasn't 100% my kind of style. What came up? It was something else that came up and I really wanted to do this other thing. Who was it? I really can't remember. That's right. But it was, it was someone else that I really, really wanted to do and I got the call for that. It was the, like, um fixer in London that called me and I was like oh I'm really sorry I can't do that I've committed to this already I was asking him for advice because I wanted to do this thing mm. I'd already committed and I kind of been told always that you should commit to the first thing that yeah. you've put your name forward to and he told me to go with the one that you actually want to do and just find depth for the other one because you'll regret not doing what you actually want to do if that goes on to be like years of work so I kind of took that and my gut was telling me to do the thing that I actually wanted to do. So I went with that. Obviously, it was good timing. I didn't leave it till the last minute. This was as soon as I realised that I'd rather do this other thing. And then found a debt, but then the original thing got pulled and cancelled. So if I had stayed on that, it's a really difficult one. It's really difficult. There's no like right answer, I don't think. But I guess you have to take into account, because it's a job at the end of the day, especially if you're living like in Manchester or London, it's expensive. So I think... If the pay is like more fair, I guess you could take that into account. There's loads of things, but I think as long as you give enough time for them not to be sort of left in a difficult spot, but that's a hard one. It's really hard. And you brought up something really interesting there about being more aligned to you. I had a, a guest on, she's a, an actress and screen screenplay writer mm -hmm. um, called Caitlin. Mm -hmm. And she talked to me, it was earlier this year actually, about deciding what to do with your life and how you spend your time and essentially there was uh, an actress that won an, something an award and she mm -hmm. was giving a speech and, and she said she had pretty heavy depression for about eight to ten years and the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on mm -hmm. and in those eight to ten years she was just doing films that she didn't want to be part of oh. and she didn't really understand it mm -hmm. and then she did one that was literally like exactly her mm -hmm. and she got better and right. I, it's such a good point because it's not necessarily that one-off thing that it might actually lead to a lifetime of work yeah you can't guess it you have no idea but if you're always bowing down to the thing 
because you feel like you should even if you don't want yeah. to it doesn't make you well 100% um, yeah. definitely and if you start off with kind of resenting it it's just going to get worse I feel if you're already going into it like oh like I've let go of this other thing and now I'm like oh I'm here it's just going to get worse obviously in every job you have to work harder than I guess what you paid to do it's like a lot of like working on tunes and like not sleeping sometimes so that like, you're just going to resent it like crazy totally let's talk about the reality of that hard work mm -hmm. if we take say becky hill casually um it's so ridiculous when i was going through and <laughs> seeing there's like millions of plays and you're there it must have been about a month ago i literally flicked on the tv and glastonbury was on and you were playing oh, were, you, were you main staging <laughs> yeah I'm that's pretty lucky. cool i'm pretty lucky that was amazing yeah there's stuff that has been and gone this year where it's been on my bucket list but I haven't written it down because it sounds so ridiculous it's like I'm not going to write down that because that's not going to happen but it's lucky yeah very blessed talk to me about the whole process from start to finish say Becky mm -hmm. are you given charts are you given tracks to learn specifically do mm -hmm. you have a rehearsal period you just have to turn up and it's done it varies a lot I've not ever had charts apart from one time which was like an orchestra thing with ray um that was the only time we've had charts wow or i personally have had any charts i used to write my own kind of notes and maybe a couple of charts not too many um if there was a lot of stuff but i've kind of got off that i feel like when i write stuff down it doesn't go in i have to just learn it mm. so i try not to write down anything maybe the set list in the first couple of days of rehearsing just so I like have all my patches ready to go mm. other than that I try not to write anything down and just listen and get it in there because then it really stays and you're making changes in the rehearsal anyway so you don't want to learn it too perfectly yeah because then the changes point. aren't going to go in yeah. <laughs> so you want to just learn it well but not so much where it's like muscle memory so it's usually mp3s that we'll get sometimes like programming references so what they want us to play um i try and just learn their whole back catalogue because oftentimes they'll pull up stuff from the past or be like oh we could put this song in so you kind of have to cover like all the bases if there's time to sometimes there's not time but if there's not time then i just listen to it and try and get it in some capacity i listened to a podcast you did earlier today mm -hmm. you were talking about particularly in lockdown, when you weren't playing live, going and learning the back catalogue of artists or like bass players that you really mm -hmm. like. How often do you do that when you're not full on? Mm -hmm. Or actually, even when you're touring, do you just, are you actively going like, oh, I'd love to play with that artist, I'm going to learn their stuff? Mm -hmm. Or is it just kind of coincidental because you're listening to it anyway and you're like, I'll play along? I do try and do as much practice as I can on the road, to be fair. I've not learned any back catalogues in a while just because I've been focusing on fundamentals of playing at the moment. Mm. So I, I'm like listening to Ray's back catalogue, of course, like getting that in my head. It's just so much of it. It's all amazing. So that's pretty fun. But on the road, yeah, I'm just kind of practicing like fundamental stuff at the minute, like going back to like older artists and like specific bass players, transcribing their stuff. I'm on a practicing journey right now. <laughs> that's awesome. We've talked a little bit already today before this about tour bus mm -hmm. where do you practice are you literally in your bed practicing or are you do it in a rehearsal room or on stage yeah like... it's, it's hard sometimes if we're on the bus there's a front lounge so there's like a kitchen like seating bit and then there's a front lounge at the top so if there's no one in there i'll sit in there if we have hotels and i just take i have like a little remote setup like yeah. a tiny amp and an interface and stuff so if there's a hotel that's great i'll just practice there and sometimes in the festival dressing room, if no one's in there. I don't like to do it when there's loads of people around, though. I don't want to be sort of like a drone in the background while people are going about their day. So I try and find somewhere that, where no one is. But yeah, upstairs on the bus or dressing room or hotel room. I like They're that. They're the three spots. <laughs> I think that's a very aware thing that not that many musicians have, particularly horn players. The amount of saxophone players I play with who when you're trying to have a conversation and they are just shredding mm -hmm. in your face and you're like, yeah, not 
Not right now, please. It's not the one. <laughs> so I think that's a very aware thing. And for a bass as well, you're already in the lower frequencies. You right. probably coast underneath. So you're, you're fine. I think it's, it's a good good uh, thing you've got there. Let's talk a little bit about gear. So you're about to go back on tour mm-hmm. with Ray tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Is it all on electric? Do you have any synth-based stuff? Talk to us about gear. Yeah, I have both. I have a one bass actually i want the sound to be consistent through like the whole show for me personally mm-hmm. um i think the consistency is nice in in the range that i'm at so i have one bass i have a spare obviously just in case you never know what's gonna With happen you. um so we have a guitar tech that actually takes care of that which is nice oh, amazing so that's great it's kind of scary giving all your stuff to someone else and you just get there and it's all ready but it's nice it's completely set up yeah for you. it's so oh. Such a lucky situation. Like it's so tiring that honestly, having to pack down as well would just like push you over the edge. Yeah. Honestly, because it's it's a lot. So yeah, he takes care of that. Luckily, so I have a spare, and then I have a Moog Sub Thirty Seven, which is the only synth I'm using right now for bass stuff. It's kind of a pain to carry around. That's mm. staying with the gear right now, so I don't have to think about that. I just have the patches on my laptop. Nice. They're really heavy. I've been thinking about getting a sub twenty five, like the smaller one, okay. just in case I need to like travel with it. And I've already got stuff because yeah. they're so heavy. I have a small pedal board. There's like not that much going on. Again, it's like consistent. I've just ordered a Noble DI. They're really expensive DIs, but they're like tube DIs, so it's gonna sound amazing. Oh, that'll sound great. I'm really excited. <laughs> it's gonna sound like at least twenty percent better. I'm hoping the overall. <laughs> Take all the percents. That's great. Even if it's one percent, it can be worth it. Well, it depends on the price, I suppose. But uh... I mean, it's a subtle thing, you know. But that's very exciting. So I'll have that soon. That's kind of it. It's quite a compact thing for this, which is good. For the patches for synth-based stuff, mm-hmm. I've always wondered. So, like, Ray's manager rings you up. Liv, I need you on synth bass tomorrow. Do they give you patches that they've already used, or do you have to kind of do the mining and the digging to try and match what it is, or like, how does mm. that work? Yeah, you kind of have to um, start from scratch with it. So we get stems oftentimes of the album. So I'll have, like, the bass stem from the album, and maybe, like, the verse will be just, like bass guitar just a clean signal and then maybe there'll be like an 808 or something usually i make a few options on the moog so like four different variations of it because it depends how it's going to sit with everyone else you never know really how it's going to sound it often sounds very different in the rehearsal than it does at home it's really hard to know so i'll have like four different variations that i'm able to like tweak as we go and then once one's settled i'll move the spares over somewhere and then just kind of refine the patches and have like a full set but it's a lot of tweaking in the rehearsals yeah do you tweak much when you're on the road like do you ever play a venue and you go i like that wasn't cutting through or the md or somebody out front says yeah that's happened a few times there was one time actually with becky where we'd been like i think in a week of rehearsals and i had like um maybe three patches for every song it was like a lot Mm. um and when we got to the first venue I'm not sure why, but there was an issue with basically the walls were shaking. Like everything was rattling and shaking in the room, like to a ridiculous point. So the sound engineer was like, we need to just use one patch for the whole. I'm not sure why. I don't know what was going on. They were like, we need to use just one patch for the whole show. So I had to just work on a new one that kind of fit over everything. Sometimes Mm. you get situations like this where it's frustrating. It's like, oh, I put all this time and like they sounded nice in the rehearsal like I was happy with how they were fitting and sometimes things get thrown at you like that where you have to kind of just go with it and be like okay so yeah that was the biggest change so sometimes but not often I've not had that since luckily good good (laughs) and I guess all eyes would go to you if if the the room was shaking because yeah I was like, can't you just turn me down? Like, yeah. I don't Compress know. me more. Yeah, um, <laughs> surely there's something you can do. But but yeah, so you have to deal with things like that sometimes yeah. and just kind of um, deal with it as best you can, as quickly as you can. Yeah. Um, But usually it's, yeah, it's all sorted in rehearsals. Maybe we'll add a new tune, um, which is never ideal because you like to kind of hear it through like a studio set of speakers in the rehearsal and hear how everything's sitting but sometimes there's no time for that you just have to kind of throw something together i get you talk to me about sound on stage Mm -hmm. so you're on in-ears the whole time Mm -hmm. 
does that change drastically depending on if you're in a stadium or if you're in an inside venue? Like, what's yeah, it like? Yeah, I'm just laughing because <laughs> there's just some times where sometimes, especially with festivals, you just like, what is this? Like, what is happening? As in sound-wise? Yeah. <laughs> I just remember this one gig, I like looked over and everyone was like... <laughs> It's just kind of funny you have to deal with it and usually it's fine like you can get through it but sometimes it, mostly on festivals where you're just like thrown up there and it's just random yeah. it's like what is this <laughs> how am I going to get through it but um I don't really like using in ears that much really mm. I prefer wedges and yeah. just like an organic sound or like amps which obviously doesn't work for for this skill obviously but in ears are good if the mix is great which it most of the time is unless things are sort of thrown together it can yeah. get quite tricky if i use in is with saxophone mm -hmm. you can feel the resonance quite a lot of the time unless mm. it's a full like orchestra or whatever and it, you can't actually feel just your own sound you hear every, mm. feel everything sorry mm -hmm. but i've done some stuff on keys on in is recently and i feel so strange when it's not completely muscle memory i'm just used to sort of i don't know you just feel and hear it a bit more yeah and that detachment i find really scary yeah yeah i think that's the perfect word is the detachment from it, it really just feel like that for bass for me personally i don't have an amp on this show on on ray but i would love an amp because it's nice to feel the bass as well yeah and that really sometimes the mixes are quite uninspiring not because of any reason but just they just like, need to be clean sort of thing yeah, yeah or just like your preference like it's hard to put your finger on sometimes, but sometimes it's just like this isn't like inspiring me to vibe. Yeah, yeah, it's not, <laughs> yeah exactly. I totally get you. But I think with a sub, that is inspiring. Yeah, vibe. for sure. No, <laughs> inspiring sub. That could be like a new brand you could make. Inspiring <laughs> subs. Also, if you've got a kit near you that is going to be acoustically loud and you're not, mm. that's also a strange thing. I know you, you don't get loads of bleed if you've got your both in yeah. ears in, but mm -hmm. I don't always do that. Which is something good yeah, I, I used to take one out a lot. I, I really know. did. It's bad for you, isn't it? Yeah. It's nice to have the room, though. It is it bad is. for you, but yeah. I do have my ears really loud. I need to definitely get on top of this because they're always so loud and I have the kicks so loud. I have all of the kits so loud, actually. Yeah. Yeah, just and it more. just inches up as I'm playing. Yeah, it's really not good for years. At least you know, though. You can, yeah. you can go for a free <laughs> audiogram at Boots. I did that about six months ago, and I was I was actually dead nervous. I normally take my left out, and mm -hmm. I was thinking, I'm going to definitely have worse hearing in there. Because isn't it that it essentially, like, overcompensates yeah. or yeah. something? Mm -hmm. um, but it was actually okay. It was, like, fine. Oh yeah. That's good. Was very, and I put Thank it into God. my health app on my iPhone. <laughs> God, I felt cool. Let's go back mm -hmm. to growing up mm -hmm. and early inspirations, what your school age experience was like mm -hmm. as a young bass player. Yeah, where do you want to start? I started playing when I was 15, so it wasn't super young. I guess going back, I wish I could have started a bit younger. I remember at college, a lot of people were like, oh, I started playing when I was three. I, was like, <laughs> I wish I <laughs> wish I'd done that. But um, I played the flute like as a young child. Um, ah. Yeah. Were you in like youth orchestras and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really love it, to be honest. It wasn't um, anything that I was super passionate about. It was just like something you had to do with the school. Yeah. They encouraged you to do an instrument. I don't know why I picked it. I think just randomly. I was like, oh, sure, like, maybe, maybe this will do and stuck with that until I think I got to grade seven. I kind of scraped through everyone though. I really didn't enjoy practicing because it was so loud and shrill. Mm. I'd always like hate practicing, like, especially when I got to like the higher grades because it was so high, like the registers were jumping and I just hated playing loud and high. I was like, oh my God. Do you think that's why you went to the opposite extreme? Possibly. I've that's never really thought about that, but I just remember like trying to practice I was like, I don't want to like disturb the neighbours or like if this comes out really bad, mum's gonna be like, what are you like, what? <laughs> why does it sound so bad? So I kind of scraped through all the grades. Really, I just didn't. It wasn't for me. And then I started playing bass at like fifteen. When I put flute to one side, my mum was like, you should play bass. I think that'd be really cool. Was bass always in your mind as like a cool thing you would like to try, or was it a person or? A... Not really. It was kind of random how it came about. I was thinking maybe guitar. My dad really likes the guitar and like rock music. My mum does too, but my dad especially. 
So he said, why don't we like get you a guitar and see how that goes. And then we went to the shop and my mum was like, oh, you should get a bass instead. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't really a decision that was thought through. It was like, maybe this will be cool. So bought one. And then when I started the lessons, I got more into it. And then it snowballed into now. Did you start lessons straight away or was mm -hmm. it like a transition of learning, you know, self, self-taught for a while? I think I pretty much started straight away. Yeah, there was a guitar teacher at the school who was amazing actually he was honestly the best teacher I've ever had ever if it wasn't for him I really don't know like he really cared like he took the time out he understood the vibe of what where I was coming from like very quickly I was like if I can get this to a good point I kind of want to do this at uni it was very like immediate as soon as I started this is yeah. something I want to really do and he was like the only teacher that tried to help or saw that as like something that you could actually do so thank God for him. Shout yeah. out to him. Chris Brown. Chris Brown. Great name. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's <laughs> Very cool. cool name. Uh, have you, is he still in touch? Have you told him like that you're still playing and this is what yeah, you're doing? He, yeah, we are. Yeah, not as much. I'm going to try and see him play at some point. He lives back where I grew up. Oh, okay. Cool. So I, I don't get back there too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's, oh. he's so cool. Uh, that's amazing to have somebody that it just gets where you're coming from. Yeah. It can be quite rare in schools when, I mean, there's so many so many students and there's so many um, things for lots of teachers to think about, but then when you get just, you just need one sometimes yeah. to see a bit of light in, in a child and it 100%. can literally change your life for, for the better. Yeah. So you started at 15, mm -hmm. so we're talking two years later, you'd have been auditioning for music college. Yeah. And how did that go? It was actually fine. I'd not auditioned before, so I'm kind of glad because I really didn't know what to expect, to be honest, that I went with my mum to like RNCM and then we went to Lipa and Leeds College as well. I, yeah, I didn't know what to expect, so I kind of just didn't think about it and just went in and just, yeah, just did it. Um, tried to be honest and like calm, which I'm glad about. I'm glad I hadn't done any auditions before. I think mm. RNCM was the first one, actually. So I just didn't know what to expect. I was like... To just go in and just I think that's a really good approach it's quite rare because there's so mm. many things that are pretty intense for young people mm -hmm. like I was at junior RNCM I felt when I was doing my auditions from um, undergrad mm -hmm. that there was like an expectation of well if you've already been here mm. you you should know what you're going to do to get in it was strange yeah but I like that kind of just mm. going in and being you and being calm and just get, getting yeah it done. I'm glad for that I guess I, I just didn't know what to expect but that must be hard if you've been through the like the junior side yeah. of it I think it was also I didn't want to let down people that I already knew that were tutors there as mm. well which just pressure yeah it's like a weird pressure but it's definitely self-inflicted and something I'm still trying to work on uh, <laughs> the pop course was four years wasn't it mm -hmm. were you there all four yeah, yeah, I did a bit of switching around. So I did my fourth year in third year in opposite way, but made it through. Oh, like the modules and stuff? Yeah, so well, right. while, yeah. So I joined the fourth years in my third year and then went back to third year while my year was in fourth year. Right. Because there was like a placement thing in the fourth year, but I wanted to do that in my third year. Oh, I'm with you. Sorry, so, <laughs> sorry. I don't know why that was so hard for really me to grasp. <laughs> so I did my placement basically in third year oh cool what was your placement that was little mix actually <laughs> so i was like let me just move this because i <laughs> i feel like this might be a good idea to do as my placement if i don't get anything else i just was like i should take this opportunity so did you take the whole year out pretty much and, and did that yeah or? i think so i'm pretty sure I, i'm pretty sure i just switched them around i think to put into context for you listening at home most people for their placement um, we'll do sort of like a recording stint at a local studio or do some teacher placements or whatever. <laughs> You're casually with the, the world's largest girl band. That's <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, mic drop. Uh, that's cool. How uh, We're not going to dwell too much on music college, but how, how did you find it overall? What was it like? It's difficult for me to come up with like a, a summary that's not super, like long-winded you can be long-winded like, if it's okay, long-born podcast I'll keep it it will be long-winded but I'll try and condense it I feel like for me maybe uni wasn't a good idea or maybe it wasn't the right uni for me 
but it was a bit of a struggle. Mm. But in the same sense, maybe that was a good thing. Maybe... I feel like the way that, for me personally, the way that they structured the course, it, it wasn't great for me. Like, the, the kind of stuff they were teaching, especially in, like, third and fourth year, I was really set on wanting to be a session player. And I knew that I had to just put all my energy into that because um, we were leaving in two years and it, it's, it takes a lot. You have to really work it. So I was kind of unwilling to do anything that wasn't going to serve what I wanted to do, which maybe isn't the best place to be at uni if you're like, no, I don't want to do like samba. I want to do synth bass so I can like leave college with the skills that I need. Um, so maybe that was a me problem. Probably. Maybe a mix of the two, but I just wasn't willing to to do anything other than what I wanted at that point, um, and there wasn't much help in that. Mm. There wasn't really much help in trying to, I feel like, help you into the career that you wanted to go in. I feel like it was this is the curriculum, this is what we're doing. Not really interested in what you do after. Like this, we need these grades, or that's how it felt. But having said that, it, there were some great times, and I met amazing people. And it pushed me to work really hard mm. off my own back, which is a good thing. Definitely. So, yeah. I don't think it was a you problem at all. Firstly, I think it's really admirable to have a goal like session playing mm. and be pretty ruthless about sticking to it mm. when everything's going against you from the course. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most confusing things, which I'm still really uneasy about with any higher education arts establishments is that for them to justify themselves I think they need to grade you on something that essentially is ungradable how on earth a bass player playing in their final recital versus a contemporary flautist mm -hmm. um, versus an opera singer or a saxophonist can be given a number at the end of something that is meant to mean something to you yeah. is bonkers. It's stupid. It yeah. infuriates me because it makes you focus on the wrong thing and you mm -hmm. kind of knew it at the time as well. It, it's funny, even now, four years later, uh, when did you graduate? 2020. Three three years ago. Yeah. You're still going, oh, maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe, like, whatever. Look at who you're playing with. Look at what you're doing. Even the, the, the tutors there wouldn't say you've done anything wrong, but it's just a funny thing where... We think we're all working towards the same thing, but actually the grain is going against you. And I think as mm. creative people, that can be such a, like a, a pull on the heartstrings, like yeah. what you're doing. It's Absolutely. Really yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think people can change so much as well, like in that short space of time. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how you feel about this, but I just feel like looking back for me, I was, I'm so different. But yeah. when I started to leaving, it's like a different person completely. Definitely. So that in itself is such an amazing thing, even if it, even if I didn't really enjoy the course that much. Yeah. Just the process of the whole thing, I think, is a great thing, even if, you know, That's it wasn't so true. the best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the best for me. Yeah, and you, you're right, actually. Some of the hardest things in our lives, breakups, bereavements, tricky jobs, whatever, mm. actually can make us stronger people and and we need a bit of resistance and resilience yeah, I guess yeah. against those things sometimes it's like I don't want resistance right now sometimes though yeah. but it's a good thing yeah but I feel like at that time I did feel burnt out afterwards I do have to say mm. I think in my first year I I think back to this I was so ruthless and I wish I could get some of that back ruthless like, in what way I was able to practice for like 10 hours no problem because I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't care like about a lot of things. Like mm -hmm. I, I didn't care about um like people's opinions or whatever. I, I didn't care. And I remember like mental health just wasn't on I was just so ruthless. I just remember hearing that like um someone on the course was uh on antidepressants or something yeah. and i just remember thinking how can how can you be on like what is wrong mm. what's wrong with you you're at the rncm like we're in our first year of uni we're in manchester so yeah i was and like what's, what's wrong with you like there's so many opportunities i was just so ruthless in that sense i think that came from my parents which i'm very grateful for mm. they are very old school and like ruthless 
which I really respect and I'm glad that they're like that because sometimes that has rubbed off on me which is good but towards the end yeah I think I, it, I was burnt out just from the whole thing of like practicing that much and then I started to understand I was like I understand now how mental health isn't anything to do with like where you are or your situation it's completely like internal I think yeah like yeah, yeah so it made me see that but I did feel burnt out after the whole thing so I think resistance is good but maybe not all the time you mm. need a little break yeah, definitely. <laughs> you need a break sometimes yeah yo just a quick one from me I'm currently traveling across New Zealand and one thing that I bring with me every single day to keep myself safe is my Nord VPN and you too can stay safe by following my link in the description below if you're not too sure what a VPN is a VPN essentially allows you to be James Bond online stay undercover and stay safe there are literally millions of ways for people to steal your details online and use them for their own benefit and we don't want that if you use my link not only does it massively help out the podcast but it gives you up to 68% off a two year subscription with three months extra free stay safe online use nordvpn on with the podcast you mentioned 10 hours of practice mm-hmm. uh when i came over the other day uh you came out and you were like oh i've just been playing bass for like seven hours and that was like a throwaway comment that was like last week two weeks ago whatever mm-hmm. is that an active thing like because mm-hmm. seven hours to be on your own doing something mm-hmm. you know a lot of people do their job for that long or they do whatever but to do something that you're with an instrument on your own that takes some serious like mental focus is that something you work on do you compartmentalize your practice or do you Mm -hmm. just go for it you just start and then you stop when you know hungry isn't honestly it's still something I'm trying to figure out I feel like I've changed up my practice routine a lot it doesn't necessarily work well with my personality I'm trying to force that kind of like OCD-ness onto mm. it, but that's just like not who I am. So it does take a lot and it's a lot of like, oh, I'm yeah. like, I'm bored now or like this isn't going in or whatever, but I try and keep it like, I just, this next year, I'm just trying to be as best, like the best musician I can be. And I just know that that means I have to just practice as much as possible. And it's difficult for me because... I'm not someone that can sit down and focus for like 10 hours. Mm. I'm trying to force it, which isn't necessarily the best thing to do, but I know I have to do it. Yeah. You, so, you still seem to be doing like a good amount. So I, I hope it's focused. I don't yeah. know if it's focused practice, but I'm hoping some of it is mm. at least. I've got a thing to show you afterwards from Dr. Andrew Huberman about practice. It was a, a thing. It's it actually really cool. It Amazing. made a lot of sense. With your practicing, do you need a specific goal or can you just practice because you just love playing? Definitely both. I tend to finish the day with just, oh, I'll, I'll often go off on like a tangent and just start playing random stuff, which yeah. is still practicing, obviously. Yeah. It's not like a super focus. But um, if I have something coming up, I like to just spend all my time doing that, which probably isn't the most healthy. But if I have like a gig coming up, I'll spend the whole day before just looking at that and kind of throw everything else out the window, which is something I'm trying to work on having like something that's set every single day, which is difficult when you're on the road to do something every single day. I've been trying and failing this past week. Failing's part of the um, process. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Yeah, if, if I have a gig coming up, it'll be like all that the day before. And then when there's nothing coming up, it'll, yeah, just be like maintenance or looking over like gigs that are in the future. Yeah. So we've talked about past you, kind of growing up you, music college you, a few of the artists you've played with. Mm-hmm. Ray is uh, amazing, but you're playing with Ray a lot at the moment. Mm-hmm. Has it been the last year or year and a bit? Yeah. 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 And the last year maybe, and just coming up to. And you've got, what, another six months pretty much on the road now up until march for now for definite and um, but there's things being added all the time which is great that's very exciting mm. when i say it's a world tour it's, it's really a world tour <laughs> can you remember some of the places that you're you're heading to so we've got more festivals now so uk and europe and then we have a festival in las vegas which will be amazing wow and then we're doing a us tour and then a bit in canada too and then australia Amazing. That's very cool. Um, Mm. You very kindly gifted me this the other day. (laughs) One of the cameras, um, (laughs) which is uh, from the Tiny Desk concert, which you did about four or five months ago. Yeah. Something like that. 
what an amazing thing to do. If you don't know what Tiny Desk is, pause this and go and listen to some because mm -hmm. it is literally a hub of some of the most amazing artists in the world and mm -hmm. you've now graced that desk. Yeah. How was it? It was crazy. It was honestly, since I started on the sessioning journey, it was something that I used to watch all the time and still do watch all the time. Mm. It was just one of those things, it's like that would be amazing to experience that at some point in life, like even if it's just watching. So I didn't write it down anywhere, but it, it was the top of the bucket list, really. I didn't write it down because I was like, I don't want to write it down and just torture myself. Like yeah, it's yeah. not going to happen, obviously. And then oh, it was so stressful when it came in the calendar because I didn't have my visa sorted yet. Oh. So it was very like touch and go. Do you have to sort all of that yourself, sorry, or does like a manager sort that for you? It was a bit of both. Like I had to kind of fill in forms and return them and get like a second passport and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Because um, we needed to use ours while it was being processed. So you need like a second one. Yeah. So it was really stressful and I'm really embarrassed about how I acted in those two weeks because it was just so hard to deal with. Like, I was like, don't be silly. Like, if it happens, it happens. If not, it's not, it is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. But I was like, all the time. Just wanting it to happen. I was happen. like, please, I yeah. can't be this close to this. And like, for it to be taken, like, I can't, please don't let that yeah. happen. Because it really was like such an amazing opportunity. It really was like the top of the list. Like, so many inspiring people who I was like, oh, they're, like, so amazing. Like, yeah. what a thing to do. But luckily it came off. Thank God. There's such a variety of artists that go through that. <laughs> yeah. You showed me some the other week. Uh, Ty Tribbett. Yeah, yeah. insane. Uh, but, like, and then, <laughs> and then Stan showed us the Sesame Street one. Yeah. There's, like, such a variety of things. Yeah. What's it actually like to play in the space? Because it is literally an office, isn't it? Yeah. Acoustically, are you you're not on ears, are you? No, no. so you have to play super super quiet, and um, oh. so just as quiet as you possibly can, um, because it's kind of amped, and the vocals are just like organic, so it's really really quiet. Wow. Um, it's a pretty amazing room. It is just like an office block, and it's like the corner of the office that's been turned into a stage. It's really cool. Were you on an acoustic bass for? No, it was that? um an F bass, oh. just my like. Yeah, usual one. But you have to play. It's really weird. You have to play just super quiet, which is an unusual way to play. It's usually like as loud as possible. Yeah. But it was really quiet, so it was interesting way to play like drums with brushes and stuff. Yeah. Um, it was so cool though. It's I'm... just the people that have been stood there. It was very overwhelming. I don't really remember it. <laughs> was it all a bit honest. of a blur? It really was. I mean, we were tired too. I guess it it wasn't really how I imagined it to happen. I thought if you're going to do Tiny Desk, it'll be like loads of rehearsals and it'll be something that it definitely wasn't because mm. we were like in between the tour. There was a chance that it might not have happened. I think they were trying to fit it into the tour. So it was very much like off the flight, straight there, like a quick rehearsal the day before and then like straight in. You kind of walk on and everyone's just stood there and it's very like, hello. <laughs> it just felt so silly. I was like, <laughs> how am I here? Like, what is this? It was bizarre, but... Yeah, I'm glad I did it. I guess it's kind of the complete opposite of the stadiums that you're playing at, where you won't be be able to see the people's yeah, faces. Definitely, there's literally tens of thousands of them, and then they're in the that same was room the opposite. Yeah. yeah, it was very much that. Yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> thirty cool. people, I think. Maybe wow. less actually. That sounds like a college recital. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was similar to that. Oh yeah. wow. As we start to get towards the end of this podcast, one thing I like to touch upon with people is well, we sort of already have a little bit to do with mental health mm -hmm. and to do with, I suppose, well-being. Because mental health, to me, when I say it, I always feel like I've got the overtones of negative mental health as opposed to positive mental mm -hmm. health. Because we can, you know, health is everything. Being on tour for months on end, in tour buses throughout the night, getting up at four in the morning to get your passport checked. Yeah. All of that kind of stuff. It's mm -hmm. going to take some toll on you. And also there's lots of different sorts of sacrifices, I imagine, that you've got in your life. Mm -hmm. How do you keep your mental health in check when you're mm -hmm. kind of on tour and yeah, stuff? Yeah, it, it is tricky. It's 
it's kind of having like no set routine really and getting back home there's like the tall blues like when you get back home and that's so, such a real thing going from seeing like new places every day then coming back home and you maybe have like no work on because you have like two weeks off it's very difficult mm. um there's definitely like a kind of slump when you get back home because you've it takes a couple of days to get settled into the tour i think like getting used to sleeping on the bus and just like the lifestyle um it's hard to have like a good routine it can be done though there's like gyms and hotels and you can kind of try and like structure your day but it can be quite difficult because it's tiring it kind of looks like it's not that tiring and I always feel bad for being tired but it really is tiring traveling like constantly on the Ray gig there's so many people on this tour that are just are really nailing it like Matt the drummer like he's he's just so inspirational the way he does it he has his family back home and he's like emptying on the road and playing drums and he just keeps everything together and makes time for his family, like calling them, making sure everything's fine. Like he's just such a good inspiration. He goes home every chance he gets to see them. So I have good people around me who are like good inspirations for that. Very calm, like very healthy mindset as far as, <laughs> as, far as it's shown. But yeah, it is difficult. It is difficult. It's hard to keep like a routine going you have to I have like a little diary where I try and keep everything under control and mm. like some kind of routine because it's easy to just be like oh I'll just drink like every night and just wake up late you know two things came to mind there one is around gigs and and festivals late nights drinking um lots of sort of more negative things mm -hmm. and that's because it's so easily accessible like I imagine pretty much every green room you're in there's free booze everywhere and it would be so easy to just be like yes please yeah um which <laughs> at times i'm sure is the perfect thing to yeah celebrate a great gig yeah absolutely especially if it's a short run like maybe three or four festivals like what we have now mm. there's you know we're on the bus like driving back all night yeah we may as well get some drinks you're not driving the bus yeah. after <laughs> all that <laughs> would just be travel it yeah <laughs> we're just traveling the next day so and it's really fun to do that that's one of the amazing great things is like building bonds and connections with everyone on the road, like staying up really late and hearing about their life and stories and getting to know everyone really well. It's really mm. nice. That's super important. That's another thing that's difficult to balance as well. Obviously, you don't want to go too far with the drinking and staying out constantly. I think some nights I'll make a decision, like an executive decision, where if everyone's staying out, but we have to be up early, I'll oftentimes stay out if everyone's out and there's like really good conversations happening or things that sound like I could learn a lot from that situation or it's just a good like chat I'll I'll be like I'll just sleep at a later time not all the time but I do think sometimes it's important to hang out because there's so many good chats and like little words of wisdom that you might miss if you like oh well I need to be up early so being sort of sensible is really important and not missing like lobby calls or anything but if you can hang for another 10 more minutes I think sometimes that's a good thing. You've nailed a point there that I've not really thought about. I love the idea of learning from people mm -hmm. because some people see that sort of stuff as just a networking opportunity and I totally get it like that is mm -hmm. part of the, part of what you've got to do mm -hmm. but actually staying out another hour or something and having another drink you might learn something that actually helps your mental health because you're exactly. all going through the same thing. Exactly. They might mm. be a bit older. They might have done it in a different way. And yeah, yeah, especially on this tour, like every single every single musician on this tour, I've learned so much from all of them. So there's so many people who were like more experienced or just amazing people. So it's really worth like on most gigs as well. Like there's always going to be someone who you can learn something from. Yeah. So as long as you're not going too ham and like missing like lobby calls or. <laughs> becoming like an alcoholic yeah that wouldn't be yeah. good no just like a nice balance is important yeah like part-time alcoholic yeah um, <laughs> that was a joke um now to finish off this podcast i have a tradition this is my guest book which is a lovely dingbats notebook i've not said this in a while if you want one of these and you want 10 percent off use the code i've forgotten the code <laughs> It's good, isn't it? I think it. I think it's Jamie Ten. 
at checkout <laughs> and you can get 10% off. That is they're very lo- nice. They're really nice, aren't they? Um, I've got a few more. Gorgeous. I'll show you later. Oh, I like this little inside print. Yeah, it's it's it, and it's got a little pocket at the back for oh, wow. more Polaroids oh. and stuff. So I take a Polaroid with each of my guests, spill glue on the Polaroids sometimes, <laughs> and they write a little message and forward some questions to future guests. I'm going to nice. choose a question or two for you. This is such a lovely idea. Hmm. I'm going to ask Sarah Morgan's question, which is, if you could do it all again, is there anything you would do differently? Hmm. I love that question. It's a very loaded question. It's difficult. I'm not undecided. I think... I think ultimately no, but then part of me's like, well, so you know everything that you still know now, or you forget everything when you go back. Forget everything. Huh. So I'd just be starting life again. Yeah, maybe you could start it the day before you bought your base. Ooh. Oh, I think no, I wouldn't do anything. Wouldn't do it. Anything. I was thinking if I started my life again, but just know everything I know now, I would do. Things. Oh, we all would. That would be a yeah, cheat code one. But then maybe you know too much. I think I would do nothing differently, though. I don't think. I don't think you can. I think ultimately you can't. Like, the things that go bad, you need those things. Like, yeah. you learn so much from the bad things, as much as they suck. Mm. I think if if you do everything perfectly, you don't learn. I you think know? that's a sign of a very content and happy you, which is, which is amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to ask you one more because because I can. Um, what would you do? Would you go back? No. I, there's been times I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my biggest ones is around music college time. Mm. I got a place at Guildhall on the saxophone course, but it was they were going to do like a hybrid thing because they've got a, a theatre um, mm. acting course there. Oh. And on the day, um, I, I didn't plan on going and like auditioning for that, mm-hmm. but we spoke about um, the stuff I was doing and they were going to look at like a hybrid thing where I could do drama modules as well. Wow. And there's a part of me that would l- love to have seen what would have come out of that. Yeah. But mm. at the same time, I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I, actually, I don't know what I'd be doing. Who knows what yeah, I'd be doing. that's the thing, you just don't know. No, that is something I've been meditating on a little mm-hmm. bit recently, on my, <laughs> on my spiky mat. I don't meditate like that at all. <laughs> I, I lie on this floor without spiky mat. <laughs> Ultimately, no matter what you think might happen, mm-hmm. you have no idea. And your mm-hmm. journey is a perfect example of that. From being yeah, stressed you really... that you're doing the wrong thing at music college and then, oh, it all works out to be this amazing thing that is exactly what you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. So you cool. really don't know what's around the corner, which is so cool, though, and exciting, but yeah. you really have no idea. Like, things change so fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially in this industry. It's, like, very fast. Mm-hmm. Like, you're doing nothing and then the next day you have, like, your diaries full. It's just, like... For some people, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a question for you that... Uh, we haven't talked about today. This is from Bryn Rudkin, who is a news and radio host in New Zealand. And wow. he asks, when did you know you had made it in your career? Wow. Mm. I can't, I have no. I, I can't say I felt that yet. Cool. There's been, yeah, there's been points where I'm just so happy and like I, I'm really grateful to be in the spots that I'm at but how do you know I don't know I don't know is there anything on your mental bucket list as in like in not like mental as in your mm. internal bucket list that if you were to do you would go I have made it and it can be no it's a difficult one I feel like for me quite honestly tiny desk was really like a big the biggest deal for me ever I don't think there's anything that I would want to <laughs> want to do more than that. So that really was like such a huge deal and really special. Like it's just something super special. But I think at the same time, it, things just change and like your ideas become new. It's like in a sense, like I can't believe I've reached this. Like I'm so happy, but then it, it turns into something different. Yeah. So now it's like, well, I'm not going to be happy until I can 
play like my instrument super well to the point where I'm just like a beast like that's the new thing so everything just changes I feel like so at the moment I don't think I'll have reached that point until I don't know there's not an end to that so I guess that <laughs> yeah. I like I guess that question I can't yeah there's no end I really like that you said that I think the only way that happens is when somebody else puts that label on you mm. I don't think mm -hmm. you actually ever go oh I have made it it's a very strange phrase actually when you think about what it actually is yeah I just um, I don't think you ever make it I feel like that's just life like you never arrive yeah you just yeah. don't just always going yeah yeah things just you goalposts just change like something that seems so far then becomes like the new normal mm. and then it's something else like that's just life right like constantly chasing yeah i agree i totally agree <laughs> just also for the listeners tiny desk being right up there on your um list mm -hmm. it is incredible and it's amazing but you've also very i don't think we mentioned it you've done you played on good morning america about yeah. two weeks ago mm -hmm. which is the the most viewed Thing other than like maybe Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, have you? No, no? I haven't. I haven't. But yeah, that just maybe you'll cool. have made it. Then. <laughs> <laughs> You've done Glastonbury, mm -hmm. uh, Reading and Leeds. Mm -hmm. I I don't think there's a festival I could probably say that you haven't done. I mean, I'm so lucky. I've done a lot like mm. the past few years. Um, the artists that I've been like lucky enough to work for have all had like really solid festival runs. So. Mm. Like I was saying earlier, like looking over my wristbands, I'm like, there's so wow. many. Like, what was this? I don't even remember this. It's, yeah, it's, it's really crazy. There's been quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> well, I very much look forward to seeing what happens in the next five years. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time today because thank you're you. super busy and you're about to go off. So is tomorrow you're off then for? Three days and I'm back for a day and yeah. then a couple of weeks. Nice. So I'm back soon. But okay. Just for oh, a day. No. Very good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. And thank you. Best Thanks of for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Very welcome. If you're still listening at home, thank you so, so much. Please go and check out. Where can they find you? I guess Instagram's the main place. I yep. post some stuff on YouTube a little, which I'm hoping to do more of actually. I'm so bad with like content stuff, but Instagram mainly. Insta and what's yeah. your handle? It's Liv Thompson based. Cool. I'll put a link in the description. If you're still listening at home, thank you so, so much. Please go and check out everything Liv's doing. It's very easy to find. She's literally everywhere. Remember to create with people, connect with people, but most importantly, be exactly you. Until the next time, peace. We did it! Oh, I love that exit. Do you like That's it? That's so cute. Outro, not exit. Well, That's oh, so man, cute. My brain, my <laughs> I'm going to get my Polaroid.